0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 13 this morning, wrapping up the last details out of verses 5 and 6, and then uh, moving on to verses 7 and 8. We'll talk about riches and pretending to be rich and uh, what the real wealth is that God supplies through, His, uh, through eternal life, through His Son. That um, though He was rich, for our sake He became poor. And we have uh, so many beautiful truths as it relates to real wealth in uh, the eternal scale of things. So uh, before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer and humble ourselves under His authority, making sure that we are filled with the Spirit, making sure that we are prepared to receive eternal truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father we are thankful for your faithfulness, we're thankful for your patience, we're thankful for your grace, we're thankful for all that you are and all that you do Father directed towards each one of us. We call upon your faithfulness now this morning to open our eyes, to teach us. We thank you for uh, the eternal applications that come about through uh, the study of your word. Father we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, we are dealing with point five in the outline. Remember, we start the numbering over again with each chapter that we come to. And so um, let me just pull these slides up and get to where we left off. Hard to see these. Point one, point two, point three, point four, point five. So yeah, and Verses uh, two through four, we were looking at mouth and soul, mouth and lips, soul and soul. We saw the structure, and this chapter has a lot of this. It has a lot of catchword structure uh, to the uh, to the poetry. So, in verses two, three, and four, we had those catchwords: mouth and soul, mouth and lips, soul and soul. And then we went from there to verses five and six, where the catchwords were all based upon righteousness and wickedness, as we see here: a righteous man hates falsehood, but a wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless but wickedness subverts the sinner and so these are the two verses that have the righteousness versus the wickedness poetry and contrast that are being laid Uh, we spent the time uh, talking about righteousness and uh, the pairing of righteousness with hate if uh, if we do fear the lord then we will hate what god hates the fear of the lord hates evil and I think it's important that we remind ourselves of these things, especially if our nation is tearing, you know, tearing itself apart. If we have Americans hating other Americans, and uh, well, why is that? And what motivates that hate? And is it biblical, or is it satanic? What's happening right now in our culture? And what is it that's, that's pitting one group against another group? And um, and is hate? always wrong and is it the opposite of love or is it an expression of love if it is in fact love for god and love for his word does that not include hate because god is love and yet god does hate so how do we how do we put these things together we want to know we want to be able to make the right application and not in a carnality we want to be angry yet not let you know let not the sun go down on our anger we want to be angry yet sin not and so we're commanded to. That's not an option. Be angry is a, is a command. Yet sin not is the remainder of that command. So we, we better understand how, uh, how these things go. And I think we did that uh, going through uh, the verses there under sub-point A. We also saw the path of the blameless. The path of the blameless. And so there's a positional truth reality that says when you're saved then the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to your account. You become positionally righteous. We get that. But then there's a path that uh, that we're to stay on. And that's the experiential sanctification that we learn about that uh, has various terms in the Bible including the path of the blameless. We want to stay on the straight and narrow, okay? Different idioms, different expressions, okay? Not that you can lose your salvation, clearly. If you leave the straight and narrow and get out there in carnality and darkness, you're still saved, you still have eternal life. But you're no longer reaping the benefits of what this experiential righteousness is designed to do. It's uh, The path of the, right, of the blameless is guarded by experiential righteousness. If you stay on that path, there is protection, there is a blessing, a safety protection for staying on that path. If you step off the path, it's, you know, like the warnings they give you in the, you know, zoos are, are wonderful if you stay out of the gorilla cage, all right? Don't <laughs> don't don't fall into the exhibit, okay? That's not, it's not designed for that. And, um, and, and so, you know, you think about these things and, and the path of the righteous. And so, uh, as it's expressed here in verse 6a, six, six Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless. When you're on that way of the blameless, if that's the path you're on, then you will be guarded, okay? It's like the breastplate of righteousness. Put it on. Put on the full armor of God. Keep on putting on the full armor of God. Keep it on all day, every day. There's a protection in the experiential righteousness that we get to walk in. You will never have a regret for walking in righteousness. And it will protect you. On the other hand, wickedness will overthrow you. And the verb there for subversion is interesting. I don't think I, I didn't write it down or prepare a, a word study on it, but it, subvert is one way. I think overthrow is, is really a better way to render that. It just, it's a, it's a casting down. Okay. And you, you kind of, to me anyway, subversion speaks of under, undermining or, or kind of decaying from within or tripping somebody up. Subversion seems uh, maybe, um, less extreme than overthrow. Overthrow means you're just dumping the whole thing upside down and and, throwing, and casting it down. Okay? And really I, that to me, the expression here speaks more to that. It's more severe than, um, than the idea of subversion which maybe sounds more minor. Uh, but it is. It is an, a complete overthrow. And so there is total protection on the one hand for the righteous and there is a total overthrow on the other hand for the wicked. Likewise, the wicked uh, stinks. The w- in verse 5, the wicked man acts disgustingly. Uh, he makes us stink. And that's uh, uh, an idiom and an expression we have in various places throughout the Old Testament. Um, some that almost seem bizarre for us in some ways. Um, one, And I didn't put the verses on the screen, but uh, one that I specifically remember is in Genesis after, uh, Simeon and Levi go and murder the, uh, the whole population of Shechem, right? I mean, there was a tremendous evil event that took place there after their sister was, was raped and, and they go in and, and they convince the men to, to circumcise themselves. And then when they're all in that kind of weakened, uh, vulnerable position, the brothers go in there and massacre the whole town, right? You're familiar with the story I'm talking about, and so in that episode, <coughs> when Joseph, find, when Jacob finds out about it, the the words that he uses are really interesting. He says, "You've you've made me you've made me a stink, you've made me to be odious in the nostrils of the Canaanites," and it's uh, <coughs> we kind of we read that, and we think um, uh, that if I can find it here, it's it's verse thirty of Genesis 34, so Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious. Okay? Or odorous. <laughs> or however you want to render that in English. It's, it's, it's a stink. It is a bad smell. It is just, uh, it's just nasty. And that's what, we, that's what we're dealing with here in Proverbs 13 with respect to the wicked. Making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and Perizzites. And my men, being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed. I am my whole household. I mean, okay, sure, you massacred a city. You massacred a city because you tricked them into circumcising themselves. All right, what are we going to do with these seven clans of Canaanites? <laughs> are we going to talk them into circumcising themselves too? What are we going to do? We can't go to war against all of them, and uh, and now I'm odious in their in their nostrils. So, anyway, we have uh, some idioms and some expressions there, and I just don't really—I'm not really led to spend uh, spend an hour on stinky passages. <laughs> but I mean, but it is what it is, and it's kind of fun though if you think about it. Particularly when we go into the New Testament and we learn about the sweet-smelling savor and the wonderful aroma that we are as a aroma of life to life, that we are a manifestation of of Christ to God. And uh, so there are some, some passages in the Bible that speak of that as well on the, the good-smelling side of things, uh, not just the bad-smelling side of things. I think uh, though one passage, I, the one cross-reference I will list here is chapter 5 and verse 22. Um, what happens when you depart from the path of righteousness? Well, you get on the path of wickedness. And the path of wickedness is, is not protective, it's, it's destructive. And it says that, we talked about that. Uh, Proverbs 5, verses 21 and 22, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. The choices you make in life, the experiential, uh, either experiential sanctification or lack thereof, if you insist on living in extended, prolonged carnality. And it says his own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. And it's it's interesting to me, and I believe I, I talked about this in chapter 5, I'd have to go back and listen to the lessons again, but it seems to me there are some things that we chalk up to divine discipline that really aren't even divine discipline. They're simply the outworking of your own choices, you know? You've made your bed, you're lying in it and, and what you're faced with is not fun, it's not pleasant. And it's not even technically divine discipline, it's just the consequences of poor volitional choices. And so, um, as it says here, his own wicked iniquities will capture the wicked. Think about how restraining they are, how confining they are. How you find yourself in a net, you find yourself bound. And and when you start making poor choices, uh, my my childhood pastor addressed this, and he probably stole it from Colonel Thiem. But he he said, poor decisions lead to fewer and lesser options, right? And 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 so you've made a poor decision, and now on the basis of that you've got fewer options in front of you and there are lesser options. And then so you make a, another poor decision. And then you make another poor decision. And, and how many does it take before you've gone down that path so many steps and you reach a point where you're just boxed in? And you come to the pastor finally. You come to the pastor and say, Pastor, what am I to you do? Know, there's no good choices here. No, there aren't any good choices here. Every choice from this step, you're at a fork in the road and both options are horrible. All right? because of the last nine forks in the road that you've taken. And so, but for the grace of God, what's going to get you out of this? Um, you know, I've got to break the news to you that the pastor doesn't have a magic wand. We're not going to just ma- magically fix this and make it all go away, but we are going to start making better choices right here, right now. Meaning you're going to be in fellowship, you're going to be under teaching, you're going to be humble, and all these other consequences... You're better off facing them in fellowship than out of fellowship. And uh, we'll just watch how the Lord brings you through it. So um, that's the aspect there. And if you're overthrown, you're overthrown. Uh, But be overthrown in fellowship rather than out of fellowship, All right, And watch how He does turn the cursing to blessing. Watch how you do get to the other side and you look back and and you never do that again and you become become a, 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 a blessing to others. You get to come alongside and teach and exhort and rebuke and, and, and warn others saying, don't go there, don't go down that road, I've been there. Let me show you where that goes. And pray with them in that regard. Alright, so that's the, uh, the last aspect there and we didn't quite get to it last week and ran out of time and wanted to, uh, to touch on that here this morning. Alright, so let's uh, get to point six then and let's start talking money. Verses 7 and 8, we've got financial references here in 7 and 8. Also uh, down to verse 11, another money passage in verse 11. Uh, But that's kind of later and not really connected to this poetry, so we'll let that go for now. Uh, But in verses 7 and 8, there is one who pretends to be rich but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor but has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor hears no Rebuke. All right, and so we got to deal with these, and there's some kind of easy ways to deal with it, and you just kind of take it at a surface reading and and say, well, duh, and then you move on. Okay, but I don't think God put stupid stuff in the Bible, and I think there's there's more to it than the the su- surface reading le- uh, lends itself to. Um, and and. And I want to spend some time on that because we have already been addressing Old Testament soteriology and, and what passages might believers use, uh, Christian, you know, not Christian, but Old Testament believers use to lead their children to uh, a saving knowledge of the coming Messiah, of the coming seed of the woman Messiah. And, and uh, if, if you're raising a family, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to tell somebody that, that, uh, that they need to be born again, what passages do you use? Okay. And we've talked about some of those. We've come uh, at the end of chapter 12 we had uh, one of those. In the, in the way of righteousness is life and its pathway there is no death. And we viewed that soteriologically from the standpoint of Old Testament soteriology and, and, uh, and leading a, the unregenerate to a point of, of uh, salvation. And I think we want to do the same thing here as well with respect to wealth, with respect to riches and what is the ransom of a man's life. How do you redeem a man 's life? Why is it that Israel was expected to redeem their firstborn? What was the symbolism of that teaching them uh, if, if it 's a ritual well then what 's the reality you know don 't just follow the ritual all the time and and ignore the reality. What did that represent? Why did they have to redeem their firstborn child and and what what did that represent? What is redemption? What is a ransom and so I think if if we don 't learn this doctrine, then we open ourselves up to uh, to be vulnerable to false doctrine, to bad teaching that comes as if somehow uh, we were ransomed. Did did God pay the, the ransom price to Satan? Uh, were we held in his thrall? And, and so the death of Jesus was a payment that was made to Satan, okay? That was that was a thought in the Middle Ages. There was a theology that developed that that the, the the ransom payment went to Satan to redeem us out of the out of bondage to him. Okay, that's not accurate. I don't, that's not biblical. Okay, we got there's different ransom theories of the atonement that have uh, some are better than others, and as far as how close they uh, they hit the mark here. But let's talk about uh, all these things. So there is one who pretends to be rich, but has nothing. And pretend might not be the best rendering, but appearances. Appearances can be deceiving. That's kind of the, the superficial way to read this verse, okay? Um, you might look at somebody and, and you might think that, that they're totally rich. But the reality is they're destitute. And then you might look at somebody else and think that, uh, that they're, they're struggling, but they actually have great wealth. They just don't, they don't use that wealth on themselves. They don't use that wealth on their appearance. They don't, they don't, uh, they're not ostentatious with their wealth. And and so just the external appearances can't tell you always, in every case, uh, how well the people are doing. There might be some people you think are the richest people in the church. And you have no idea that there are five five kinds of bankrupt because all of their lifestyle is, is funded on credit cards. And they're so far in debt, they can't even see the, the end of that tunnel. And uh, different things there. We've, we've discussed that in earlier chapters as well, about uh, bankrupting yourself to maintain a uh, an image well here's the point and this is how i wrote it in main point six in terms of wealth there is that which can be seen all right there is that which can be seen what is evident what is seen in terms of wealth there is that which can be seen appearances which can be misleading and true wealth which is the eternal life God provides, all right? And I want to kind of focus on all three things. I think, I think these two verses address all three things. So three items on this list. In terms of wealth, there is that which can be seen, appearances which can be misleading, and true wealth, which is the eternal life God provides. I believe when we get to verse 8 here, we talk about the ransom of a man's soul. The ransom of a man's soul. I think all the superficial readings there miss the mark. And I want to I go deeper than what the superficial reading is. Because how do you buy a soul? How do, you, uh, how do you ransom a soul? You and I can't afford it because we ourselves have fallen souls that need to be redeemed. So we first of all have to redeem ourselves and then we can redeem our brother. Well how would we do that? We don't even qualify to do that. And if we had all the wealth of the world, that's not enough to buy a soul. All right, and so there's principles here, and i think they're I think they're important so um, let's understand this so there's that which can be seen uh, and the appearances which can be misleading, and then there's the true wealth, which is the eternal life god provides so uh four things I want to kind of expand under this now: pretending to be rich. <laughs> Pretending to be rich. You know how much work that is? Um, Or the apparent riches. Okay? It's at best uncertain. It's at worst delusional, as the individual soul is more valuable than the entire world. All right? How rich is rich? (laughs) Again, here's the point. Pretending to be rich or apparent riches is at best uncertain, at worst delusional. as the individual soul is more valuable than the entire world, and I tell you, if if uh, more and more people could get oriented to a biblical perspective, a uh, divine viewpoint perspective on money and wealth, I think uh, <laughs> we'd have less fights about different things. All right, less arguments among family members, or less uh, you know turmoil over whatever. Okay so thankful in, in Mike's case that you know, the family is all saved and they're all oriented to teaching and there's, um, at least in the immediate family that is, with the son and the daughter and Judy. Uh, what grace and what like-mindedness and what a blessing and, and, uh, and all the rest. And so there, no one's fighting over this or fighting over that, okay? Or, <laughs> or anything else. All right. Back up a little bit. Uh, remember this in chapter 12? We talked about this in chapter 12 and verse 9. Bitter is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant than he who honors himself and lacks bread. Remember when we taught that back in chapter 9? Um, to be lightly esteemed and have a servant, we're talking about a man that lives within his means, that he uh, he doesn't have maybe the, the greatest of, of the esteem, the greatest of the uh, accolades or the uh, the things uh, among his peers or within the community, but he still has—he's—he's—he's uh, he's, uh, he's debt-free. He has a servant. He—he he pays his bills. Things are are on track. As opposed to the one who honors himself, he's going bankrupt to maintain his image, and he's promoting himself and and puffing up his his reputation, the esteem that he has among his peers or those that he wants to think are his peers but he lacks bread he's going hungry he's starving he's he's so far in debt that uh he's uh he's he's bankrupting bankrupting himself trying to maintain that that image so that was the the reality of 129 that we were dealing with there and uh and uh, so that connects very well here to what we're dealing with in 7a pretending to be rich if you're just putting on a show if you're uh, if you're uh You know, you're bankrupt as anything, which you can you can impress the the neighbors, well then there you go. Um, and if you're successful, what have you done? (laughs) You know? At the end of the day, okay, you fooled your neighbors, now what? You know, and how much work was that? And you're gonna keep doing that, you're gonna keep doing how long do you keep that up? Um I think there's also a deeper way to look at seven A as well. If you think about one who pretends to be rich if we're contrasting spiritual riches versus earthly riches, right? And maybe he is Bill Gates in, in, uh, in uh, he's got a fat bank account and what have you. But on the eternal scale he's bankrupt, he has nothing, he's not even saved. He has laid up not one treasure in heaven, he is, he is, uh, he's got nothing. So you can look at verse 7 and be contrasting spiritual with physical as well. There's a lot of a lot of things you can do with this contrast. Another pretends to be poor but has great wealth. Who would do that? Who would who would pass himself off as a vagrant when really he's he's a multi-billionaire? Okay. Well, maybe it's somebody that, you know, doesn't want people bothering him or doesn't want uh, family members hitting him up for whatever or doesn't want you know doesn't want to be robbed. And if people think that he's poor, then he won't get robbed. Or who knows? But. Um, Again, if we separate, if we if we if we separate out the, the fact that this doesn't have to be translated as pretends, we could accept that it just appears that way. There is one that appears to be poor, appears to be very modest, in, 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 and 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 yes, you know, very uh, on a low socioeconomic basis in this world. But you know how much he's laid up in heaven. You know how much doctrine she has. You think about the widow that brought the the two lepta coins, and and Jesus said, "You see her." Yeah, she gave more than all these other rich, fancy people and all that. So um, we'll get to that, okay? I think I put that in sub-point B. I did. All right. So uh, we have that. Well, riches are at best uncertain, and at worst they are delusional. First Timothy six 17, We've seen it recently. We'll probably see it again. It's it's a, it's a good passage to go to. I like it. Instruct those who are rich. Remember 1 Timothy is pastoral instruction and Paul is giving Timothy the doctrine that he needs to pastor a church and uh, there will be people in the church that are better off than other people in the church. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. <laughs> okay, That's, uh, that, that sets the parameters right there. We're talking U.S. currency, and it's not accepted in, uh, in heaven. <laughs> Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. They can't brag about why they're rich. And if they think they're self-made, they think they've earned it, they think they've deserved it, they need to think again. Because God put them in that position for His purpose. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So there's two snares and there's two warnings that are given. First of all, don't be boastful. Secondly, though, yeah, don't bank on it. Don't count on it. Don't fix your hope on it. Don't, don't turn your, uh, your wealth into an idol that you think is going to bail you out of every problem that, that can possibly come your way. Because it's uncertain. At best, it's uncertain. It can be gone tomorrow. And you thought you were diversified and it turns out you weren't that diversified. You thought that you had hedged uh, against uh, everything uh, imaginable. oh, here comes something you didn't imagine. <laughs> and there went your hedge, okay, and then, ooh, now it's really now it's really thin, okay, now it's really thin and uh, and there it goes. So it's uncertain, but fix your hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And that's the key purpose clause of that whole verse is enjoy. Are you enjoying your wealth? Are you enjoying why God blessed you with that wealth? Why God provided you with that wealth? Or is, is 23 hours out of every day just focused on how do I not lose this? Okay? And if you spend the majority of your time worrying about how do you not lose this, then you're not spending enough time on how am I supposed to use this? right? Ooh, that was good. That rhymed even. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. I think preaching in Grace Covenant yesterday is rubbing off. I'm getting some of the, some of the vibe there. So that's it. Are we, are we worried about losing it? Are we uh, humble before the Lord so that we use it in the right way? Okay. And then that's what it says here. It says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. Say, you can be rich in money and poor in good works. You've got to be rich in good works. To be uh, generous and ready to share. uh, You know, God designed the body to where those that that have provide for those that don't have. And and, uh, the the pastor gift is is, uh, teaching the Word of God to those that that, uh, don't have the pastor gift. And the, the gift of giving is providing for those that don't have the gift of giving. And the gift of... You know, those that have, like uh, Jacob and that marvelous singing voice, and it's not for him, it's for us. It's for the body of Christ. It's for the, the blessing and edification of uh, of, uh, of the whole body, okay? And uh, in all these things. And so by being generous and ready to share, in that application it says, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. That's how they're able to lay up treasure in heaven. That's that's uh, by being generous and ready to share here on this earth. That's how you can give and it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you're not diminished when you give, you're increased when you give. And we understand how all of this works. But we have the aspect of uncertainty that is stressed there in verse 17. So the uncertainty of riches. At best it's uncertain. At worst it's delusional. Remember the Laodicea crowd in Revelation chapter 3? They thought they were rich and they don't realize that it's the direct opposite. To the messenger, the angelos of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold, hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say i am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing you see what that just happened there wealth is their idol they don't need god anymore they don't need anything anymore they got everything covered they are insured they got insurance against everything imaginable and if there's a loss no it's not a loss i'm okay i'm covered you know It's expressed in Ezekiel and other Old Testament passages where the prideful king of Tyre is saying, you know, uh, or or, yeah, Tyre boasts and says, I am a queen, I will not be a widow, I will not be overthrown. And it's just, it's this pride that says I'm untouchable. You say I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and I've need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. not rich. You see how delusional this is? They think they're rich. And it is just the opposite. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Oh, Where do I buy that? How do I buy that? What do I exchange for that? How do I get that? Gold refined by fire. Well refined by fire means testing. That means I'm going through testing. I'm submitting to the will of God in testing. That means I'm accepting humble circumstances. That means I'm submitting to His will. And my payment for that is gold. Okay? Of course it's laid up in heaven. It's waiting. You may become rich. White garments so you may clothe yourself. What, What are these white garments? Well, we learned the white garments are the righteous acts of the saints. And we've got to buy that from God. How do we buy that from God? Well, we need the gold refined by fire. So you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. An eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. There's a, there's a provision for blindness, there's a provision for deafness, provision that we've got to go to God to get it. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and Repent. Again, the subpoint is this, under subpoint A, "...pretending to be rich or apparent riches is at best uncertain or at worst delusional as the individual soul is more valuable than the entire world." Matthew 16 and verse 26. Matthew 16, 26. context here picks up in verse 24 and it really follows verse 23 and the rebuke Jesus gave to uh, Peter. Here's the Lord instructing uh, the disciples about the cross and they don't want to hear it. So verse 21 says, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Can you imagine what blasphemy, what utter evil. And uh, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man. And that's what we're dealing with, with the contrast between earthly wealth and heavenly wealth, and the physical versus the spiritual. Is our attention focused on the things above? And Jesus said to His disciples, and so don't don't separate this message that follows with Jesus and His uh, rebuke of Peter. Peter tried to make it all private and quiet, but Jesus opened it up to all the disciples. Said to his disciples, "If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Are we a disciple of Jesus Christ or not? Are we willing to lay down our life? Are we so attached to this world that there's something that will withhold, or there's a line we won't cross, or there's a thing we won't do, or there's a there's a, you know we're happy to be servants only you know on this one condition, okay? <laughs> Whatever that might be, okay. Only on one condition. Yeah, I'll be a missionary, but I want to go to Waikiki. (laughs) Okay, that's my uh, that's my mission field, Lord. I'll serve you, Lord. But you know, yeah, is that what we're willing to do? So, and then he says, "Whoever wishes to save his soul." Now, this is this is important, okay? Uh, Because this is the language we have in Proverbs thirteen. We're going to talk about the ransom of a man's soul. And here we have soul life that Jesus is addressing. Whoever wishes to save his soul will lose it. Now, are we talking about coming to the cross and getting eternal life and going to heaven when you die? Are we talking about salvation in what we have phase one, phase two, phase three? Are we talking about the first kind of saved where you believe in Jesus and you get eternal life? Or are we talking about the second, all right? What are we talking about here? Whereby we're saved, there's a sin issue, and the power of the Word of God is going to save us from those personal sins, and we're going to walk in the light, and we're going to stay in the will of God, okay? I think it's a whole lot better to take that here in that context. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, okay? We'll realize that all that we are and all that we do is entirely His. And if that means laying down our life, if that means laying down our soul, if that means sacrificing um, in in things that hurt. Well, is this what he's asking us? Anyway, we taught this in the Life of Christ series, and uh, that's just sitting there on the website, minding its own MP3 business. All right. Oh, I meant to share that. I'm sorry. I meant to share this uh, with the ladies. Add Add Mindanao to your prayers on your prayer list. All right. It's an island in the Philippines. It's a Muslim hostile island in the Philippines. There's a lot of persecution against Christians on Mindanao. Mindanao. And uh, some, uh, there's a, two that I know of, sisters in Christ, that regularly listen to our MP3 files. And uh, and I'm thankful that they do. Because we had a glitch on Sunday and had a wrong file that was put up on the website. We ended up with, with last Wednesday's Philippians class loaded a second time on Sunday morning. And it was labeled as if it was Sunday morning's message but it turned out it was just a repeat of Wednesday night's message. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the very first person that noticed, hey this is a repeat from Wednesday night, was, uh, was one of our sisters there in, uh, in Mindanao. And uh, so I was thankful, brought it to our attention, I sent it over to, to Kevin and he got it fixed and, and the, the real Sunday morning message got posted there and, and labeled appropriately. But but pray for them. Absolutely pray for them. Uh in, in certain places they can't be known to be Christian. You know? And uh can you imagine? Pretending to be Muslim but you're streaming doctrine on your on your smartphone. Okay? And, and it is just it's 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 a blessing. Okay, so pray for that. There's a grace ministry that happens there in Mindanao and uh, Baraka, uh, a man named Gilbert Rainer's got a, a ministry that he's getting uh, doctrinal material over there and getting it in the hands of some missionaries uh, that are there in Mindanao. And There's some no-go zones that they don't go anymore, but other people can get in there. So anyway, just lift all that up, all right? And uh, if, you're, if you're listening on MP3 right now, we love you. <laughs> We're praying for you. And uh, stay safe. All right. So are you willing to lay down your life? I mean... If you're picking up your cross, you know, you're not taking your cross to a to a to a party. You're taking your cross to a place of sacrifice, and, and it's gonna hurt. And uh if you're gonna take up your cross and follow, then are you gonna lay down your soul? He laid down his soul. All right. So whoever wishes to save his soul will lose it. Whoever loses his soul for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's the purchase price to redeem one soul? More than we can pay, more than the whole world can pay. The sum total of all the wealth of planet Earth. Okay? <laughs> oh well, so much for that Grace Covenant vibe. It wore off already. The total, sum total of all the wealth on planet Earth can't purchase one soul. The individual soul is more valuable than the entire world. All right, now then the second part of 137, 137B. Apparent poverty may hide true wealth. Apparent poverty may hide true wealth. And we're not talking in an illegitimate way where, you know, somebody's posing as a pauper and whatever, whatever. Those are kind of fun. You know when the the CEO disguises himself and goes undercover, boss is undercover, and he's working on the assembly line and doing whatever, and the fellow coworkers don't know that's who it is and whatever. And I I, I struggle to believe any of those things are real. But anyway, they get passed off as real on a reality show. Um, okay, whatever. You know, um, I, I mean Prince and the Pauper. We, I mean this goes back centuries, and the different uh, stories of, of, of that. Um, but understand again, if we're going to contrast this in earthly wealth versus heavenly wealth we can understand that you can be uh, tremendously poor and yet the wealthiest people in heaven. The, the Luke 21 passage is the one there with the widow and Jesus stressed this with His disciples. Luke 21 verses 1-4. through 4. Apparent poverty may hide true wealth. I'd say that's true of a local church as well. <laughs> you can go to a place and it seems like it's a very modest little know nothing kind of church, and there's great wealth to be found there as teaching goes forth. Or you can go into a glamorous palace and then look around and say, Where's the where's the doctrine? Okay. Luke twenty one verses one through four. If you ever need an example of that, go to Europe, tour some of those cathedrals, tour some of those great big basilicas and those great big i mean they're museums and they're beautiful and the artwork and the statues and the stained glass and the they're just some of the beautiful, beautiful architecture and just destitute no doctrine, no christ no no real church okay <laughs> all right luke twenty one verses one through four He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. Remember the lepta coins we talked about. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. All of them put together, okay? All y'all. For they out of their surplus put into the offering. They're just chucking some spare, uh, spare change in there and there's really nothing to them. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And that's the point, okay? And the contrast being in, in, when you have the heavenly priority as opposed to the earthly enslavement, then it's, uh, <laughs> it's a great freedom, isn't it? First Corinthians 1.5 First Corinthians 1.5. See if you're not terrified of losing everything because you're intimate with the one that gave you everything <laughs> and you know that He supplies your need and He will keep on supplying your need and if He wants to stop tomorrow, that's His good pleasure to stop tomorrow. And you praise Him when He stops tomorrow. You praise Him when He provides today. Because He will supply all your need. Um, is that right? 1 Corinthians one five. I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 1 Corinthians four says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything You were enriched in Him. You know, the day you got saved, you became enriched. The day you got saved, that moment on, you entered into your inheritance. You are a fellow heir with the heir of all things. You were given a down payment. You were given an earnest a a deposit through the permanent indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit. But there is so much more. And that's yours. That's mine. That's ours in Christ. Everything belongs to us because we belong to Christ. And so you are enriched in Him. And it starts with in all speech and all knowledge. So the first things we start getting busy with in our Christian inheritance, in our Christian growth, we get under the teaching of the Word of God. In all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift. Plug into a local church that has every gift available that has every gift that's being trained and operating and functioning. Look at the variety of gifts and ministries and effects. Saw so much of that yesterday. It was amazing in, uh, in, in, in every capacity imaginable to come alongside Judy. And what a delight. What a delight. And, uh, and so there it is. In everything you were enriched in Him. So if you are in Christ you have been enriched and that is a past completed action. And that is, that's important because I don't think it's, it's uh, when we're going to get back to the Old Testament we're going to see this, it's not only in the church age whereby uh, being saved or being regenerate is, uh, is expressed in a riches metaphor. All right, I think the church age is the pinnacle and we have been enriched far beyond what Jewish believers were enriched with or what Gentile believers were enriched with. But it's not unique to the church age. It's not unique to the body of Christ. David would have viewed himself and did view himself as being very rich as a believer. All right? The Psalms speak of, of salvation, speak of, 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 of being a part of God's family, being a part of the, the, that redeemed status as, uh, as riches. Okay? And we're going to talk about that. I think we're going to see more and more um, riches passages that really speak more to saved versus lost then they speak to rich versus poor, okay? And maybe more than we realize. Um, And and we'll see those. All right, 2 Corinthians 6.10. This is uh, a description of the ministry and uh, what we can expect, including beatings and imprisonments, (laughs) Okay. Uh, tumults. Labors. Notice that's plural beatings, plural imprisonments. And it's before the Roman imprisonment. I think it's with reference to the authorship of Philippians and the source, uh, the origin being an Ephesian imprisonment. Tumults, labors, sleeplessness, hunger, purity, knowledge, patience. This is all this description here. We don't want to discredit the Lord in any facet of ministry. Alright? And it goes down here to glory and dishonor. How can you have both at the same time? How do you have glory and dishonor simultaneously? Well, there's the way the world looks at things and there's the way God looks at things. And they may look at uh, at you and your ministry and with such a dishonor and think, well that's nothing. and uh, But God says it's a glory. By evil report and good report. And someone that just calls you all kinds of names, well okay. I'll wait to hear what Jesus calls me when I stand at the Bema. Really, I don't care about anything else. Call me what you want. As um, evil report, good report, regarded as deceivers yet true. You know, you still teach creationism? You still teach uh, biblical norms and standards on sexuality? Um, We're regarded as the deceivers. We're regarded as, uh, in fact, worse than that, Uh, you know to protect the children from our harmful deceits Uh, when is that day coming okay as unknown yet well known as dying yet behold we live as punished yet not put to death as sorrowful yet always rejoicing here we go as poor yet making many rich as poor yet making many rich See, this has to be that contrast from the physical to the spiritual, from the temporal to the eternal, right? Because you can't, you can't be viewing any of these things strictly on an earthly basis. In earthly terms, there's no earthly poor person that makes an, another person rich. But in spiritual terms, a very poor person can make somebody else rich, spiritually speaking, in, the, in heavenly wealth as poor yet making many riches, having nothing yet possessing all things. Okay? You may have nothing and yet you have everything because you have everything in Christ. <clears throat> That's why I can rejoice over my marvelous bass singing voice, <laughs> which I don't have. But, uh, but Jacob does, so I do. Okay? And uh, or my ability on the piano, which I don't have either, but Molly does. Okay, or you know, just I mean, all of that. Okay, my great uh, cheesecake baking ability, which I don't have, but Maury does. Ooh, let me tell you. And um, you know, I start to list all the nothing that I have, and I got a long list of nothing, and a long list of everything, because it's all in Christ, and it's it's a glory for the body of Christ to come together in this way. So um, that's 2 Corinthians 6.10. Uh, also 2 Corinthians 8.9, chapter 8, verse 9. We've got two full chapters here of grace giving in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and all the doctrine that goes with that. But verse 9 of chapter 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Through His poverty. See, apart from the kenosis and apart from His poverty, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay His head. He was homeless. Apart from that, now if you think about that, it was through that to identify with everybody See, if He lived a life of glamour and wealth He would not be identifying with all of humanity. But He identified with all of humanity. Whosoever will can be saved. He had to be. There's a song that addresses that. He had to be poor. He had to be homeless. He had to die. And all these things. And had He not been then redemption would not be what it is and what the Father designed it to be. So Though uh, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich, and that's our example, is it not? Are we not supposed to replicate that? Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, since he cannot owe. Are we supposed to cannot owe? Oh, absolutely, we cannot owe. And if there's something we think that is ours and only ours, and, and uh, how dare they? And 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 uh, I'm drawing the line on the sand there, Lord. They can't have that. Wait a minute. What is it I'm holding on to? What is it I'm afraid of losing so much that I'm not able to use it the way it's supposed to be used? Okay? So, uh, chapter 9 and verse 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, backing up to verse 10. Now this is with respect to he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Right. This is on the experiential side of things. We're going to get to a a verse in verse 11 where it says you will be enriched and I don't want us to to miss that. You will be enriched. And just 10 minutes ago we had a verse that said you've already been enriched. Right. So both are true. We've been enriched positionally in Christ. This is experiential now talking about you will be enriched experientially and this comes about when you're grace oriented towards all that you're doing. If you're going to sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you're going to sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Do you have any grace? And if you have some grace, how much grace? Just uh, a little bit of grace? A whole lot of grace? What do you have? Because you can't outgive God. And the more grace you you express, the more you're going to reap. That's guaranteed. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. Doing as you've purposed in your heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves. A cheerful giver. And so in that context then, God is able to make all grace abound to you. And so as much as you give you're not diminished because God causes it to abound and it abounds to you. So that most of the time, no, always having all sufficiency in everything. Isn't that powerful? You may have an abundance for every good deed. Look at all those absolutes. Always. All. Everything. Every. So, as it is written, "...he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." It's a quote from Psalms. This is an Old Testament doctrine now that has a deeper New Testament reality for the body of Christ. Verse 10, "...now he who supplies seed for the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, who's the God that provides it? So you don't have to be Scrooge McDuck and, 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 and hoard it and, and be the miser and, and uh, understand that. He's the one that supplied it and He supplied it for you to use it, to enjoy, to be rich in good works, to be ready to share. And if you use it in the way He designed it, He's going to keep supplying. He's going to keep providing. You think He's going to stop when you're applying it according to His good pleasure? Of course not. So He will. He will keep on supplying and He will even multiply your seed for sowing to increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. This is how to be a biblical liberal right here, okay? In, in, in God's terms in God's terms. All right. And then we were just there a little bit ago, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we had read verse 17 in that context, and then moving on to verses 18 and 19, so I uh, probably read those already and got ahead of myself. Yeah, I did. There's the uncertainty in verse 17. If all you're doing is hoarding it and fixing your hope, on the uncertainty of riches, and if you're not enjoying it and you then uh, you're still back there in sub point a, you've got to move on to subpoint B. Have the true wealth, do good, be rich in good works, be generous, be ready to share, store up the treasure in heaven, achieve what he's designed it for when he provided that in the first place. all right because that's the true wealth, the true wealth as it, uh, as it glorifies Christ, all right. Now, um, how far do we got? Point C. The ransom of a man's soul is his wealth. The ransom of a man's soul is his wealth. And this is going to take the longest to explain. So I'll just introduce it here and we'll spend next week on this. The ransom of a man's soul. Now I'm, I'm going to use that as an equivalent expression to salvation all right i'm going to use that as an equivalent status to, for becoming born again for receiving eternal life for not going to hell when you die all right for what we call the the first of the three uh uses of of save that we have in the bible or the first of four uses of save that we have in the bible as uh, the ransom of a man's soul and, uh, and, and as such then, and using it in this way and I'll show you other passages that I think use it in the same way and I'll show you, we've already seen some of the New Testament passages that use it in this way. The, uh, the, the concept here as an expression for being saved, meaning being wealthy, receiving God's wealth. Okay, Because remember your soul is worth more than the whole planet put together. So uh, using it that way see if it fits within this. In not only here but in another text, for example, Psalm forty-nine, I think is a big one that uh, that addresses that as well, and more that maybe we don't pay attention to. So, um, this may also help us to explain John chapter three, and the shock that Jesus had in Nicodemus, who who seemed to be flabbergasted by the idea of being born again. All right, and Jesus said, "How is it that you're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand the necessity of?" Personal regeneration; that you must be born again. Okay, that uh, that no Old Testament believer should have thought that uh, ritual observance saved them. Okay, every Old Testament believer with doctrine would have known that salvation is by grace through faith; that they were that their faith is grounded in a coming Messiah. Their faith is grounded in Messiah. And when they believe in Messiah, they receive eternal life. And they're born again. And they're wealthy. This text is going to stress the wealth. The ransom of a man's soul is his wealth. And if Yahweh ransoms your soul, if Yahweh ransoms your soul, that is your wealth. Okay? You are not poor. You have been ransomed by Yahweh. And and I believe... Every Old Testament believer had an understanding of that because that's what saved them. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. How did he know that? (laughs) I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand upon this earth. He had a a guarantee of that resurrection. So he understood redemption because he called him a Redeemer. He understood resurrection that he would bodily stand upon this earth. Where did he get all that doctrine? Psalm 49. Let's, Let's take a look at this and see if it bears out. Are we talking about the ransom of a soul? And Because the superficial reading, otherwise if you limit your understanding of Proverbs 8 to a superficial reading that says, hey, a rich guy can buy his way out of trouble and a poor guy um, can't. okay, Well, duh. Or a poor guy, he would never be held ransom anyway because he's poor. You know, Nobody, uh, nobody takes a homeless guy off the street and holds him ransom and demands a million dollars for his release because he doesn't have it. And he's not related to anybody that has it and no one would care. And who would, who would pay that? okay? And, and, and that's just kind of, that's how the commentaries approach that's how a lot of th- people approach these verses that, you know, a rich guy can buy his way out of trouble. A rich guy, if he has wealth, uh, then he can ransom his soul. But see I think the word their soul gives it away we're not talking about we're not talking about a hostage that's you know like Julius Caesar who was held captive by the by the uh the pirates of Cilicia okay I don't think Proverbs eight is addressing that at all in any kind of context psalm forty nine I am out of time it's already eleven o'clock. Where does the time go psalm uh let me just read psalm forty nine and then we'll We'll pick it up next week. I'll save my Julius Caesar story for next week. Why should I fear in days of adversity when the iniquity of my foes surrounds me, even those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. This isn't a hostage situation where you're giving a ransom to pirates or a kidnapper or or anybody. This is to God. A ransom for His soul. For the redemption of His soul is costly and He should cease trying forever. You can spend the rest of your life trying to earn it or you can stop trying right here, right now and accept it by grace through faith. That He should live on eternally. That He should not undergo decay. This is an Old Testament soteriological text and we'll have to pick up here next week. So the ransom of a man's soul, I'm equating it to being saved, getting saved, receiving eternal life, not going to hell when you die. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for Proverbs. I thank You that Proverbs is so timeless and eternal, applicable in Israel's stewardship, applicable in the church stewardship. It's going to be just as applicable in the tribulation and millennium In the fullness of time, Father, thank You for the wisdom of Proverbs and thank You for Your Son, wisdom incarnate, Father, Your beloved Son in whom You're well pleased. We thank You in His most precious and holy name. Amen.